Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, a show where we take the role of Hollywood executives shamelessly exploiting your nostalgia for money. My name is Pat, and I'm joined by Amy. Hello. Andrea. Hey. And Nick. Oh, hi. And today we are discussing the 1964 black and white film, Fails. All right, welcome everyone. And today's pick is from Andrea. Andrea, you've picked the film Failsafe, which Amy and I had never seen. No. Nick, had you seen the film before? I had a few years back. Okay. All right. So two people coming in new to the film. Very interesting film. Andrea, why don't you take it away with, with kind of a, a brief synopsis of what the film is? Okay. Um, I saw this movie a while ago when I was a kid with my dad in like AMC or Turner Classic Movies or something. But uh, what this film is about, essentially, it takes place during the Cold War. Um, U.S. bomber jets are doing like routine drills every day or every, you know, uh, so often. And they're the bomber jets have uh, these fail-safe boxes in them, which basically tell them, you know, when and if they need to attack, um, and if an order is inadvertently administered or given due to a mistake, um, you know, the the box, the the fail-safe mechanism is supposed to either stop them or, you know, they're supposed to be uh, fail-safes in place to either make sure that they do attack or that they don't and uh, a mess up happens and one of the bombers gets the okay to go and bomb moscow which is fantastic and the president of the united states has to negotiate with the premier to uh of russia and try to coordinate with the bomber jet uh unsuccessfully and his um uh, his man at on the ground to try to stop the bombers from getting to Moscow. Um, I feel like that it's kind of hard to explain, which is why I stumbled over myself a little bit. Um, yeah, it 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 feels uh, it feels like almost a play. Like there there's three you know there's 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 three places that the action takes place, and that's in the cockpit of the actual bombers themselves. Mm -hmm. the president's bunker and then the pentagon where there's a couple rooms one with generals and others with some lower ranking staff actually carrying out the the kind of you know administration of it and it, it runs almost like a play would maybe that's why i enjoy it so much <laughs> so it's the pentagon where the professor and the generals are and then there's a the the place where all of the the control center if you will is um, there's really no good name for it. Um, it's like a proto NORAD. Yeah, you can tell they they had some real strong NORAD vibes, but they <laughs> yeah they had to dissociate from the actual U.S. government a little bit. Which is funny that you mentioned that. But yeah, I, I, we'll get to, we'll get to that in in a little a little bit in regards to what help the U.S. government was or specifically was not in the making of this film, which is very <laughs> very interesting on its own. 
Yes, this movie has a lot of interesting little tidbits about it, which are some of the reasons why I'd want to remake it. So yeah, let's let's kind of move into then kind of our thoughts and overview of the film. I think the first thing to say is this got released, kind of some movie history. This got released right around the same time as Doctor Strange Love. It was actually released after Doctor Strange Love. A couple, I think it was about nine months after. Okay. Um, so this is an interesting um, happenstance with it. So Failsafe is originally based off of a book by the same name. And when I think it was Paramount, I believe, uh, was um, when Paramount found out uh, that Failsafe was being made, Kubrick the director of Dr. Strangelove was like, wait a second, wait a second. This is uh, plagiarism. Failsafe is just like Dr. Strangelove. You guys can't do this. And a judge ruled in the favor of the studio, which means that Kubrick won and that, um, you know, there was a, a conflict of story. And the way that they solved that was, I think, I think Paramount bought the rights to and bought the film failsafe like and the stipulation that kubrick's had the kubrick had was to release dr strangelove first and then sometime after uh dr strangelove first and then sometime after um failsafe and i personally think it was kind of coincidental because i'm pretty sure the book kind of came first before dr strangelove but i don't have the, the copyright information on that so i i'm not really sure from what i understand they're both based on different books that are similar but the idea that the book could be plagiarized is 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 hard to believe they're they're similar in what's happening but outside of that they're they're very they're very different i mean the films themselves uh, that come out of the the novels are very different so i feel fail safe got hard done by i mean dr strangelove is a classic film Mm -hmm. I've seen that film. It, you know, I could quote a couple lines from it. And failsafe, I'd I'd literally never heard of it before you you selected it for this list. And I'm glad you did because it it for me, the film is really, really I mean, the fact that it takes itself so seriously, right? There, there's not a joke in here. Like everything in this movie is what would happen when people with good intentions don't get the job done and the bad thing happens anyways right when i was doing research on this and reading up more about it henry fonda who plays the president he actually said that he wouldn't have done the movie if he had known dr strangelove was coming out first and the reason is because through the lens of dr strangelove this same topic seemed silly and over the top and almost like the only way that you can talk about this sort of scenario is if you are satirizing it that the, the only way to, to do it is if it's satirical and uh some people who had reviewed it at the time were like oh this this film is is not believable and i don't know if i agree with that um because the the film while it didn't do very well in the theater because of dr strangelove thank you stanley kubrick it was reviewed very well by critics it reminds me of Armageddon and Deep Impact, where Armageddon was the massive blockbuster, but I actually really love Deep Impact yeah. quite a bit <laughs> because it takes a more human view. Like, this is what would really happen if an asteroid was coming towards Earth 
whereas Armageddon is wants to be an action movie in space you know you know what I mean and I feel like it's the same thing here it's like I said you know failsafe takes itself very seriously and it's all the better for it. and I think you're right if if failsafe comes first and then Doctor Strange Love, it doesn't matter as much because the satire coming out second is the point of the satire, right? So in this case, the fact that it was already satirized, satirized? Now I'm getting the word wrong. You're welcome. <laughs> Made a satire. Yes, yeah. Uh, is, you know, it is something that probably was detrimental to to the film. Amy, what did, uh, what did you think about the film? Uh, first time seeing it, I, well, the first time I saw it, I did fall asleep. I don't blame you. It was late. <laughs> it was late. And I wasn't expecting that type of movie to come out. I had no idea going what was I was going to see going into it besides just being about the Cold War and realizing that it was a movie I'd actually have to pay attention to. <laughs> no huge action sequence, no score. I could hear a pin drop. I decided to, oh, you know, see it again with a different eye set. So, you know, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And for for the view or for the listening audience, I love my wife, but she will fall asleep in any movie. If so, I like it or not. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not a criticism of the film to say you fall. You you fall asleep in movie theaters sometimes. But I wanted to rewatch this movie to actually pay attention. Yes. And yeah. let's you know, let's not get me wrong. I didn't understand some of it, but that's just because I don't, I don't know a lot of military tactical wording. You brought up a really good point and I didn't realize this until you had said something, but there is no score to this movie. That's one of the things I love about it. There's no music at all. And I didn't even notice it. And you know what? That film carried itself with none of it. And the thing is with it, it, that's one of the things I think I really love about it because it's so, so if you've never seen this film and you want to be forewarned, it is in black and white, even though color was a thing in 1964. Was that when the movies made? Yeah. 1964. And, um, and that was intentional. So, um, I think that if you don't know anything about it and you're going in cold, like you guys did, I don't blame you a single iota of anything that you would have fallen asleep because it's not anything like any a movie now or even near the time because again no music all dialogue no real action sequence to speak of um so and you really have and it's all in the story in the dialogue and the the storytelling that encapsulates you and that grabs you so um i it makes complete sense that you'd fall asleep if you had no idea what you were running into. For you to be able to tell a story in that way and provide the drama that you see on screen and the the levels of intensity on screen and the 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 way it just kind of captures the audience on screen with no score, with no assistance, if you will, from modern techniques is astonishing to me it's yeah it shows the good uh, script and the good acting when you when you when we say they don't make them like that anymore this is what they mean right that's what we're referring to they don't make them like these two yeah and in in the director sydney uh, um lumet he made also 12 angry men which is another favorite of mine it's it's another classic and i think it 12 angry men is one of those films that is 
timeless or ageless people mm-hmm. will you know people will watch it of all ages whereas that's not true for a lot of films made you know during that time and it's the same thing with 12 anger men, men as it is with this movie in that the the tension is the action is the action and the plot moving us forward and it drags us through the whole film and you don't need a score or a big action set piece or anything like that it is men being stuck in these rooms not really being able to do anything now that the the flip has been switched right and that's kind of the, almost a theme of the movie switch has been flipped damn it's the... <laughs> <laughs> say it one more time no let's keep it in <laughs> I, I i i own my inability to to speak just, to, to speak uh moving on <laughs> so so yeah th- this director's fantastic he's he's done a lot he did dog day afternoon he did before the devil knows you're dead which i didn't know i just found out about that i've seen it and very much enjoyed that film but um that was a fan that was a fantastic film as well so so he's he's done a lot of great work and he's clearly one of those directors that can make a tension-filled film out of a room of people just talking and it's really hard to do that these days you know what i mean that hollywood has changed that that generally doesn't happen anymore it doesn't sell tickets no it does not i think you also need a truly compelling story to tell and has anybody looked at hollywood recently yeah there's not a lot of unique uh and and new thoughts and ideas coming out of the woodwork and i i think that's probably the real problem behind not being able to tell a story like this with modern film not so much the techniques and the technology um but but an original story an original story that's also engaging though i think anyone could tell a story i think the last time i may have seen a movie in the theater that was like that was inception but then again that had a huge soundtrack and a a lot of action scenes and all that other stuff but i'm trying to think of the last film maybe a rival ah okay that would would be one where there's some action in it but it's mostly the tension between the characters and obviously the aliens but yeah good point that is a very good point i think you I can mean, make some minor changes to that and a language is the entire point of that movie exactly yeah. and you could you with some minor changes you could rip any any music out of that and if i remember correctly the music the the, the score of that movie was really just phil ambiance yes not yeah. not uh you know action sequence you got to punch it up uh sort of thing <laughs> all right so i guess i guess in summary then we all really like this film. Uh, so kind of moving on to then, why do we want to remake this movie? Um, Andrea, we'll, we'll start with you as, as it's your pick. Kind of what 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 about this film makes you want to kind of give it a, another go? So I'd remake it for a couple of th- couple reasons. Um, I think, um, one, I would update a lot of the um, the the cut scene type plane visuals um so this in between so uh this movie has um some like shots of planes taking off on runways and that's all stock footage and the reason is because the uh u.s military 
did not want to sponsor or back or have anything to do with a film where America was at fault for anything. They did not like the idea that the United States could have made a mistake, such as the one in this movie, and they did not want to lend any sort of assistance or credence to that. So as a result, the the filmmakers had to get old stock footage of planes that they had from, you know, U.S. planes. Uh, I think that some of the um, Russian planes were actually like a French uh, aircraft yeah. or something like that. So I'm going to interrupt for a moment. And I think to to really kind of explain just how bad some of these cuts were. Oh, yeah. Um, at one point in the film, they're saying that I don't care. Do whatever you have to do. Have those uh, interceptor fighters fire their afterburners for as long as they can oh. to catch up with the bombers. And the cut scene that they cut to is a sped up version, like heavily blurred of a plane firing a missile. Yes. And they and they claimed it was afterburners and because it gave off a lot of smoke. That's not where afterburners come from. Right. Afterburners, last I checked, are not on the wingtips. No, they come um, from the back of the plane. Y'all. So the editors had their work cut out for yes. them. So I just wanted to break in for a moment and kind of say, hey, this to to give the listeners kind of a um a feel on where where we're at. Where we're this. at with these cuts. Um, and and, and another thing, another thing to add in there is Every time a plane takes off in the film, it's the same plane. Yeah. Yes. It's the same Sped plane. Sped up, zoomed in, mm-hmm. yeah. zoomed out, uh, different angle, mirrored. Like they take the exact same cut and just one right after the other. They had to portray uh, what? Six bombers? Six bombers. Six bombers taking off. Four um, U.S. attack fighters and then a whole bunch of Russian fighters. So the bombers, you see the same bomber take off six different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and when they show the bombers in the air, it's clearly, when you see the inside of the bomber, there's plenty of room in there. There's three people. There's plenty of room for them to move around. And then when you see the outside of the plane, it's it's like a one-person snub fighter. Yes. Yeah. And yes. and so to go a little more in depth, because I, I watched kind of a video on like what 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 was happening here. This is this is during McCarthyism. So the Red Scare, uh, you know, you might be a communist, you hate America, that type of thing. So the US government didn't want to let them use any of of their um, you know, they they've they refused to help films before, but they refused to help this film, and they also reached out to like the stock footage companies that sell film stock footage of things, and, and made sure that they wouldn't sell oh. any footage to the film wow. either. I didn't know it went that far. Yeah, that's why they had to use all those shots, is because literally no one would sell them stuff. And the writer of the film was also blacklisted at the time. And a blacklist, for those who don't know, is if you're suspected of being a communist or a communist sympathizer, you are literally quote unquote blacklisted and, and you're not able to work in Hollywood anymore. And so a lot of people during this time would take on aliases and they only got work through their friends and things like that. And that is, this is all because of, you know, politicians trying to, trying to scare the, the, the kind of populace. It's an, it's an interesting part of american history where you know we're the land of the free but 
here's a bunch of propaganda, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and you're you're only allowed to show things in a certain light, and you're not if you're if you're criticizing them in America in any context in the Cold War, then you're the enemy. That that type of thing. It's a very interesting part of American history, and this film is very much caught up in in all of that. So, if you're interested at all in that, uh, go ahead. I will put a YouTube link to the video I watched. It's a, a short 15, 20 minute documentary on kind of the making of the film and the issues they had surrounding that. Um, they also, the U.S. government made them put on a... A note at the end. A, a disclaimer at the end of the um, of the film saying, you know, this is... Uh, <laughs> the, the U.S. government has complete control of our nuclear arsenal. Don't worry about it. Wink. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like the, the bakers of this <laughs> film want to say that these are not the opinions of the U.S. government and the yeah. Air Force. And a very terrifying note after the credits. Um, and I kind of think that in a certain way, the, that note is almost scarier than the rest of the movie itself. But there were some other reasons why I wanted to make remake this film. May I explain those a little bit more before we go into like recasting and stuff? Yeah, because absolutely. I feel like that there were some other things that I wish I could have seen the more I thought about this. And I really wanted to share those thoughts. Um, like, um, while this is one that I wouldn't set in modern times, and I know we'll go into that a little bit later, but I feel like... Um, I read one review where it said that the the reason for the fault wasn't believable. Um, and when you're watching the movie, it's really hard to tell what happens because like a light goes off and then a buzzer goes off and then they say, oh, there's something wrong. And then this guy comes and he pulls a giant like card catalog looking thing. And if you don't know what those are, if you care for kids if you go into like you used to be able to go into a library and instead of using the computer to look up where the book was you'd had you had to like pull open these long drawers and look through you know the the, these cards in this long drawer to see if the book was there or whatever same kind of thing it looked like this long drawer that he pulled out of this computer console and he put in a new one and like the it was it was hard to understand that and they, they did try they tried and they tried by having the senator was it there so the special committee there was this there was a senator there and then a guy who was like a, a specialist with the machines that were in that room right but i'm alluding to the senator was really there for the audience's benefit he right. was the 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 exposition guy he was like the audience stand-in if exactly you will. exactly um so the way that the movie starts is like um there's a senator who's the audience stand-in some a guy who's from the company that made the machines in the room and then a general and um a, a colonel who run the center the the proto norad that the bombers are controlled are commanded from and um they 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 uh they get a, a find a blip on their radar, which ends up being an off track uh, commercial commercial jet. jet, and that kind of throws their systems out of whack. And at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, you learn that the Russians were jamming uh, the American um, radios so that you know the the command center couldn't reach the bombers, um, and that after the mistake happened and the computer had its weird glitch thing, that's why they couldn't reach out to the bombers because the 
the Russians were jamming them. But that sounds confusing when I explain it. And that's because in the film, it is. Like when I've watched this movie, you know, three or four times at least. And every time I watch it, I never quite clearly understand what happens. And if I were to remake this, one of the reasons why I'd want to is because that needs to be clearer. It's 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 clear as mud and it's almost not believable. It's kind of like, oh, these four or five different conditions all have to happen at the same time to make this scenario happen. And I think one of the things about this film that's really striking is the fact that there were many times in the Cold War where the you know, the the nuclear superpowers were very close to completely screwing up this world like what happens in the movie all not almost but you know same kind of flavor and i think that that needs to be underscored a lot more and to do that you need a you need clarification of that mistake because i think a big part of the movie is that while um a lot of the characters spend a lot of time you know hitting you over the head with oh it's machines we let the machines get out of control but it is man that created the machines so at the end of the day we are the ones at fault no matter how much we want to blame the machines and i think that theme that message would be better um displayed with a more concrete understanding of what exactly triggered it all yeah, I think if something has a one in a million chance of happening, but there are millions of chances of it happening, say, every year, for example, in the case of computer software that has to do calculations many times a you know a second, then it's what the, the one in a million isn't a one in a million, it is an inevitability. And I think the movie could have done a better job saying, you know, and again, back then, the idea of, you know, we don't know as much these days. The layman doesn't know as much about computers those days as, they, as we do today. So I think it'd be easier today to kind of explain the idea that, like, you know, the system was set up in a way where it has a very, very small chance of failure. But that incredibly small chance of failure is almost guaranteed to happen because we keep setting up these situations where it's, you know, where eventually it's going to go wrong regardless right does that make yeah. sense it does i think the the movie also kind of explains that a little bit um and they're like you know the the senator's like how often does this fail safe thing happen and the guy's like oh you know two or three times a week two or three times a week are you kidding me like we're brought to nuclear destruction two or three times a week Okay. And then um, later on, the Soviet premier says that it was based on their computer probabilities that, you know, you happened, today happened to be the day where we decided to jam you. And, you know, it's a Tuesday or whatever the case is. And it's like, okay, they explained in a kind of roundabout way that, yes, that small chance is going to be an inevitability. And I think that needs to be a little more clear. I think they missed opportunity because you had the senator there for exposition they missed the opportunity in explaining just exactly what happened in a plain english way um yeah but i also think the complexity that was there on purpose because you're talking about um like this this is on the coattails of the conversation of how much money the taxpayers spent to build this control center and how advanced it was and and 
this this roundabout tour that we went on to see how advanced this satellite 300 miles up could see almost drone to the ground today's technology and capabilities to to see from space and so on which was back then it was unfathomable and i think the reason why that level of complexity was there for how the the failure happened even though we we come to learn that russia was kind of the uh one of last, the catalysts. Yeah, the last straw that broke that camel's back. The reason why that level of complexity is there is because you're trying to portray a government entity with virtually unlimited funds and how they're supposed to be the elite. They're supposed to be the best in this scenario. Uh, they're supposed to be infallible, and yet something still happened to these people. So you kind of, as the audience, expect a super complex process that shouldn't ever break, that can't ever break because the greatest minds developed it. But I think that's undermined by the fact that in that moment, you treat the audience as the the ignorant one and just kind of pull out this magic metal box with a blinking light on it, slap a new one in and say everything's fixed. Yeah, I feel like that this movie simultaneously treats the audience like they are smart, but also treats the audience like they're stupid because there are some instances where it's like, I assume like um, the, the the scene with the president, it's like, oh, he knows his wife was in New York. And it's like, okay, then the, the audience is, you know, supposed to understand that when the president is saying, okay, Moscow will be bombed and spoilers in return will bomb New York. You're supposed to kind of remember and then put two and two together. But at the same time, it's like, oh, this box being pulled out, that's all fixed now. And it's like, okay, do you expect me to be stupid or do you expect me to be smart here? What is your expectation of me as the audience? That That's fair. Anything, any other reasons specifically outside of like specific changes to the, to, to the film, like any other reason that we'd want to remake it. Yeah. Um, I know we mentioned a lot of the shots of the planes and whatnot, but oh God, yeah. in the um in the the proto NORAD war room command center kind of thing, a lot of the action is seen, quote unquote seen, on these like giant radar map things. And I understand at the time the technology probably wasn't great. I mean, at the time, if you were watching that, you know, sitting in this theater in the 60s that was probably amazing but when you look back at it it's like wow that's terrible and it just looks really not great i i don't want to say it it's bad like it just it seems a little hokey i feel like someone's about to say enhance in that blade <laughs> runner kind of way um and i if i were to um remake it i would kind of update that fix that a little bit um i also think that some of the cuts like there's a lot of cuts in the movie to sort of um when the president's on the phone with, between all of these different places there are a lot of cuts between the the control room and the the conference in the pentagon and the president's bunker there's a lot of fast cuts and with the exception of maybe two or three places i feel like the cuts are way too fast for like they're they're a little fast. Like I understand why they need to be fast. You want us to get that sense that we're all in the same room together, and that even though we're a, a long ways away, we're all like connected right here. I feel like a lot of it was it was too fast, and I didn't get the time to really notice the emotions I needed to emo to notice in this kind of movie. 
Um, and I didn't get enough time to maybe process as much as I would want to. Maybe that's intentional, but I think I would have smoothed out some of those harsh cuts. I agree. And I think one of the reasons that I would add in that I would want to remake this, and this is some this is something that kind of goes into a little bit into what I would change, but I'll, I'll try not to go too much into it, is this, you know, when you forget people's faces, I had that problem in this movie where all of the middle-aged old white dudes look the same and i'm like who is that who's yes. that guy yeah and i just think there's too many characters in this film that sit around and kind of have like one or two lines i would definitely get rid of some characters so for me i think part of that reason is part of the reason i would remake it is to cut down and focus more on specific characters the president obviously general black the professor go to shelly i think his name is the professor uh and i yeah and i I, a lot of the other people in that room the pentagon room i don't think need to be there because they mostly just stand around yeah they were totally unnecessary yeah i don't know i i think it'd be fine if you just added a ton of diversity to the cast and you could actually tell people apart maybe yeah We'll get onto that in a in a yes. in the the remake because I have thoughts on that as well in regards to diversity and whether we whether it should be included in a film set in the '60s and that type of thing. All right, so moving on then to casting, let's start with the president Henry Fonda in the original film, who I think is great. Yes. Um. You want to take it away? Yep, go ahead. Yeah, okay. take it away. Sorry. Um, I agree. I do think Henry Fonda is great, um, which is why I had a really hard time picking the president. Um, I would have picked Denzel Washington. Um, he's a great actor. I think he can, when he, um, <clears throat> I, I think of Denzel Washington in something like Remember the Titans, where there's not a lot of like action, action. I mean, there's like, football but there's a lot of dialogue that is intense and meaningful and i think that he could pull off one having a position of authority like that and two having to carry across that kind of dialogue in a meaningful uh emotional way and maintain that intensity um yeah being in, being intense i think is yes. being intense but also being a reasonable and rational person is yeah. important is important for that role right who doesn't like denzel washington <laughs> right exactly he's denzel. the yeah. president <laughs> yes and also i think like henry fonda it was great because as and i and as a result i had a really hard time like trying to figure out who i would cast but the one thing i really didn't like about henry fonda's performance is i feel like he did a lot of yelling and i don't think that's needed yeah there's that one scene I think where it it is the best part of the movie where he said, you know, what do we do? What do we do? You know, that part. But aside yeah. from that, you know, it's, I, I, I agree. I think he screams a little, you know, a little, a little too much, but. I was going to kind of resonate with you there. Um, there's a place for it. There are certain places in the film where that does make sense to elevate your voice and really kind of get that point across. But yeah, it didn't need to be every time he was on the screen. Yeah, it got told. It got it's it's kind of like that 
that um, the thing to tell actors is like, okay, don't take your performance to a 10 because then you're not going to have anywhere to go. You want to start at like a three and then kind of go to like maybe a five or a six and then push it to a 10. And I think he was like at a nine the whole time. And then it's like, okay, now we have nowhere to go. Yeah, I agree. That's fair. That's fair. One thing I guess I would like to bring up now because you've cast Denzel Washington, who is a black man, obviously everyone knows who Denzel is, but I, my personal opinion on the issue of diversity for this film, because it's going to be set in, you know, the 50s, 60s, is that most of the people in this film should stay white and stay men because it is a historical period piece and I think it should reflect the bigotry of the time and the reality of the time of the of when the film takes place if that makes sense Uh, I just want to be clear I'm not one of these people that's like you know I'm watching uh, Lord of the Rings on Amazon right now and they've they've cast you know an a black guy as an elf and you know people are all up in arms about that it's like that's a fantasy universe who cares? It's not, it's not reality. Who cares what color the elf's skin is? Yeah. I agree with what you're saying. It's not to be in a bigoted way, but another one of my favorite films is Apollo 13. That film, mostly white men. Sorry, but that's, but it took the, the setting is 1971 and that's the way that it was at the time. And it's unfortunate, but I do agree. The thing is, I just couldn't think of anybody that would be a good fit. And, I, and I'm just like, no. Nah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, actor. maybe yeah. I could have thought a little bit harder and done more research, but. I think the real question becomes, are you truly modernizing the film? Because is it is it a second Cold War? Is it modern times that this scenario exists? Uh... Or is it more of a period piece period piece because i think i think that really should kind of determine casting choices yeah i think if it were me i'd keep it in the time period that it is um mostly because a good chunk of the movie is dependent on the red scare uh, pat you brought this up you know earlier mccarthyism the red scare one of the reasons why gerda shelley is such a hawk on the war as he is is because he is an ardent anti-communist and he would stop at literally nothing to eradicate communism from the globe and if that means turning an accident into nuclear war then he's gonna do it and maybe that there is a um real um a modern equivalent but nothing that's as pervasive as communism and the red scare and mccarthyism was at that time period yeah i i agree about keeping it in the same time and 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 like i said it's for me it's it's important to show I feel like you'd be doing a disservice to the people who suffered during that time period of of not being able to have positions of of power by kind of just inserting them in to this period as though that were the case. Right. Um, I I did do some research. Benjamin Davis senior was the first African-American general. And that wasn't until 1940 that he became a general. And even then he mostly was um, just assigned he had a limited range of like responsibilities where he wasn't able to like 
take a lot of field command and things like that because of his race. So you think of like kind of the civil war as this thing that happened so long ago, but it's really just, you know, six or seven generations ago. And, and then, you know, the fact that the fight wasn't won then and, and that there was, you know, a hundred years between that and the civil rights movement. And like I said, I just think it's important to show where the power structure lies in a period piece but outside of that denzel i'll, I'll see any denzel movie like i you know you like, like like generic action flicks you know like the equalizer <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll go see the equalizer part three go for the it. book of eli oh my god great chef's movie. kiss yeah yep. like Man he's great in everything oh my god yeah. so so i think that's a good pick i just kind of wanted to bring it up as something to discuss when it comes to um to that type of thing so okay so so moving on you mentioned denzel i had uh martin sheen down oh. as the president because he played it during west wing which i haven't seen a lot of but he I was think great he, in that he's he's got that kind of presidential personality do you think yeah no absolutely i agree and then amy you picked brian cranston he's a great actor he is a good actor he is but I don't know if he's right for this role. I, I could cast him in this movie, but I don't know if I'd make him the, uh, the president. We had that discussion, too. It, I had two actors. I was jumping characters back and forth because I think they're both actors, great actors. I just didn't know where to put them. I wanted actors that, unfortunately, fit the criteria. Old, white, and really <laughs> serious. So he was one of them. I was actually thinking of the play we saw in New York City where he played um Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. um he, he played, played LBJ. Thank so you. it's called LBJ he All was the Way. Really good oh man. A political wow. character. And that's okay. actually the whole time I was thinking of Brian Cranston. Yeah, so Brian Cranston Brian Cranston was the lead and actually they made an HBO miniseries about it. It's on HBO. It's called LBJ All the Way. But yeah, the play was really cool. I got to see Brian Cranston in person. Oh yeah. Awesome. I almost touched him. I almost touched him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. That no, Brian, listen, Brian Cranston is a good fit. I think the the his type of performance that he gives, I think would be better under more stressful situations like in the cockpit or in, in the war room. But so General Black, the one I kept going back and forth on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, that, but again, it's your pick. I'm. I think it's a good pick. It's yeah. General Black was really hard too. I struggled with that. Yeah, I don't like your pick for General Black. We'll we'll get onto him, but I don't like my pick for General Black either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I. Uh, so let's move on to the professor, Doctor Go to Shelley. The professor, yeah, Doctor Go to Shelley. Thank you for <laughs> pronouncing it for me. That's okay. <laughs> I'm just calling him the professor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I didn't pick anyone for this because I wasn't sure. But when I saw your pick, I was like, he's a little young, but he's old enough now. And I think this is a great pick. So I picked Adam Driver. Um, so the person who played Dr. Groda Shelley is Walter Matthau. And, you know, this is the same person who was in Grumpy Old Men and Dennis the Menace. And when <laughs> I saw him in this movie, I was like, get out of town. Um, but he's like he's very soft-spoken and he's intense and i feel like adam driver could play a serious intense character with 
like that kind of flavor in his background. I think something important to note about, again, context for for people of our generation and our parents' generation, too, who would have been young when this film came out. This character is based off of a real person who was essentially the, he was like a futurist and kind of a military strategist that, that in many ways was bullish or hawkish on, on the idea of not only can we persecute a nuclear war, but we could win one. That idea is obscenely stupid. Right. <laughs> the idea that like a cu- countries could launch hundreds or more thousands of nuclear weapons at each other and that the, the surviving that surviving is a positive outcome so yeah he that's that's who he's based on and it comes he comes across as very hawkish i think that's important to understand when you're casting the characters you have to have someone who's incredibly intelligent but also incredibly arrogant and that yeah, is in Adam Driver's repertoire. And also Adam Driver is a military man. Like he was in like the army. Yeah. He's a, he's um, an incredible actor. He really is. He is. He's amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. He joined up after 9-11, I believe. If that, if yep. I he did. He did. Um, and like Walter Matthau, Adam Driver is also tall and dark, like dark hair, dark eyes, um, pale skin. What are you trying to say? I'm right here. She hates the blondies, I believe is the exact <laughs> quote she said there. Yes, I said that. Rude. Very rude. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Amy? Well, first, tell my first pick. I can't remember who it was. John Ham. Oh, John Ham is not going to be in this movie. I love John oh, Ham. I oh, love no, John no, Ham, but I don't I love John Ham. You know why I picked that is mm. because just looking at Walter Matthau, and then he, he kind of looked very nice that young. I'm not saying, you know, I was attractive. He's an attractive man. And I just want to put John Hamm or something. <laughs> <laughs> I could see John Hamm, though. I could. Oh. Because if you've seen John Hamm in Black Mirror. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That or, is... or the new Maverick. Yes. Yes. Oh, he's a, he's appealing. Right. Or the town. The town is a great he movie. He can be then. sadistic. But he also has this arrogance that people you want to you want to believe him, even yes. if he's an asshole. And like Walter Matthau, John Hamm has a comedic-ish background. Um, and Walter Matthau did comedy, but he can also do serious roles. Important to note that uh, Walter Matthau was a serious actor yeah. before he became a comedian. The, yes. the comedic roles became came later. Uh, but you know what? You've turned me around on John. Yeah, Hamm, live, live here. Thanks, you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just needed. I don't know. I still would cast Adam Driver. I'm a huge John Ham fan. I just want to throw that out I there. Just, I not, think Adam Driver is a apparently. great actor. I just can't. He just seems so young. Every time I'm looking back on this movie, I'm thinking, who am I going to cast for? You know, military. You know, the pre- presidency. I. They're mm-hmm. all older males after years uh, of serving and fair. kind of feel like they have to have some years but adam driver okay he's a very good actor i mean if you think about it when we first meet the professor he's like talking at 5 30 in the morning after they've all stayed up late from a dinner party and who that has weird. that kind of stamina <laughs> other than people on besides people under the age of like 35 it was i thought that was a very weird scene like i don't have that kind of stamina like i'm not that far past 35 but like damn yeah 
I mean, I stay up till five o'clock in the morning reading a book, but talking to other people, no thanks. Rich people at parties. Rich people at parties (laughs) about nuclear war. Nuclear war. That's a heavy topic for 5.30 in the morning. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. If there's not an orgy, I'm out of there by midnight. That's that's my my philosophy. Uh, Okay. Uh, Moving on then to Buck, who is the pilot of the bomber is that correct no buck is the president's translator oh okay i get i get all the white people confused i'm so sorry uh (laughs) they are they sure are okay so buck is the president's translator which i'm very confused at i didn't expect it to be a role they introduce and i'm like all right but really it's very interesting because he again for those who maybe haven't seen the film he essentially plays the role of the Russian premier because he has to not just translate, but interpret interpret the way the premier is feeling about the information that's being relayed to him. So it's a very, very, it's a much more important role than I thought it was going to be. And uh, Andrea, who did you, who'd you pick for this? Um, well, I, I talked about these casting choices with Nick. And this was actually his choice, so I'm going to let him explain it. I just happen to really love his choice. It needs to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I'm thinking, like, Inception. The way he went from very serious to action-oriented back to listen to a pin drop serious in a matter of seconds (laughs) in that movie sold me on him for for Buck. Because you have to go from stone-faced direct interpretation of words into portraying feeling and emotion from a language that your president your superior does not understand and portray that all in one breath you have to be a chameleon yes that's a good way of putting it absolutely um you have to be able to 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 handle those changes that quickly and even like even um like uh there was a movie on netflix or something that he was in where it was like i think it was called not right it was like it was like this movie where he was a cop and you'd like take pills to give you superpowers temporarily um and project power yes project power um i loved him in that and he was very serious um but there were times where i think he you know switched back and forth and then um the first time i ever saw joseph gordon levitt was 30 rock from the sun or th- yeah. third rock from the sun excuse me yeah. and um and that was straight up comedy and then he was in um looper i believe where he pretty much like transformed into a young bruce willis which was was incredible so i think he could fit that bill very very well yeah i agree 100 amy had put down just very quickly you put down andrew garfield and i think a lot of the things you said about uh joseph gordon levitt apply here yes except the only reason i chose andrew garfield is because i saw buck's role as the most innocent of all the characters oh and i like that interpretation I, I just i don't look at andrew garfield i mean i i thought of him as someone younger starting off you know the president and him were talking and he's like so how'd you get into this son and it just he just seemed like he wanted to do good and i feel like andrew garfield has that kind of do gooder face he's definitely the person in the film bad actor no he's a terrific actor yeah he's really I, good he, he's 
I feel like not many people think of him very much after yeah. the poor fiasco with Spider-Man. Oh. Not many people liked him after Spider-Man. That's yeah, really the unfortunate. Sec- the second <laughs> Spider-Man movie was was pretty terrible, but he's kind of re- he's been redeemed in you know with the yes. new Spider-Man movie. But all of his other acting credits are fantastic. I, I don't see a lot of these roles as comedic at all. I did not see any character in this no. movie as no. needing to have that. I none saw of them him as maybe being able to have more of a connection. Yeah, but Buck is the character that's the most not ready. To be in the room with the people talking about nuclear war out of He's everyone in the, not be in, the room, <laughs> yeah. in the back yeah. with okay. all the guys smoking their cigars yeah that's fair so let's go on to i think for me the most important character and that is general black or oh, as he's referred to as the president <laughs> blackie which is his that's nickname for his friend nickname yeah, that they it. had in college i think yeah yeah so so importantly the president and general black are close friends from from school mm-hmm. so i struggled like hell with this too you've written ryan gosling here that's i like hate a mistake. it, <laughs> it yeah, no, i no, struggled no. the thing is if you uh so i think of ryan gosling from like the gray man or blade runner um not like the cutesy fartsy la la land notebook ryan gosling but the more serious thoughtful um uh, if you've seen gray man i think this is the perfect fit yeah i've seen gray man i enjoyed it the nice guys is probably my favorite ryan gosling movie but i just don't i don't see him in that role i picked vigo mortison from lord of the rings and, and I promises. have to agree with that choice. I saw wow. that and okay. I was like, oh my God, that's really good. And I think that that's perfect for Blackie because especially with his dream and how at the end where he like drops the bomb and like there's the complete and total anguish and just utter horror of what he's about to do. And then he's just like remembering his dream. And as he dies, he's like the matador me. I feel like that's perfect. I feel like Viggo Morton's a great choice. Great. Mm. I, I would agree. He can come across as someone who's very strong, but also very considerate. And I think you need an actor that's able to do both of those things. I think even even nowadays, the idea of being strong is associated with like a machoism. Yeah. Which is, I think is fading away with kind of our generation, because that's certainly not the way most of my friends feel about what strength is. But I think you need someone who's strong principled and empathetic as well yeah and i think he would fit he would fit fantastic so and i've only seen him in the lord of the rings movies but when you say that i think of the end of what the return of the king and one of the last things he says is to the hobbits my friends you bow to no one and like that scene is like emotional as hell right because he's being considerate and he's like got respect for these hobbits that like went across the world when they could have flown on eagles and nearly killed themselves all this and that and the other thing story for a different day um but yeah like he he has all of those characteristics that you would need for this role that's uh, and i agree with you one of the most important in the movie yeah if you haven't seen a history of violence or eastern promises i can't remember who directed them it's the same director but he's in both of them and they are both fantastic gangster films but not like the Goodfellas or the like these are 
vicious, violent, realistic gangster films. They're they're both fantastic. So okay, so let's keep moving on then to General Bogan. Bogan. And this is the guy that pretty much that kind of like runs the um the proto NORAD command center thing in Omaha, Nebraska. Right. Right. He's the one who picks up his friend Colonel Cassio. Um, I picked uh, Josh Brolin because you need someone who's a big, serious dude with a deep, imposing voice that can be serious and military-esque and still have, you know, a a sense of beliefs and morals. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that Thanos is all those things, (laughs) but same actor. And he's got that vibe. I completely agree. We just saw him in Deadpool, Deadpool, but we just saw him recently in an Amazon Prime show called outer range oh yes excellent that that it that show is such a slow burn that even the end of the first season is set up for something that we don't know but i really enjoyed him in in that series and i think he's a terrific actor i think he could definitely he could almost pull off half of these roles right yeah if you if you said josh brolin for like most of these people i'd be like yeah all right (laughs) so that's a that's a that's a great pick Anyone else have uh, alternate suggestions, or are we all are we all Brolin, Brolin Bros? Uh, so let's move on to Colonel Grady. Uh, this is the guy uh, who flies uh, the lead Vindicator bomber, and uh, I picked Ray Liotta. I know he's dead now, but I didn't know that at the time when I saw Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and that's where I saw him in. I know not Goodfellas, like I am sinning for not having seen that movie yet, but he was. I feel like this role is a blue collar guy who can be super committed, but also like you can share a beer with him. Um, and he's like loyal, but also, you know, down to earth and every man. And I feel like that Ray Liotta was pretty much that. Although if it has to be alive, I would pick David Harbour, even though I'm not really a fan of that pick. I don't mind. I don't mind him. The plain one is the, the person who flies the flies. The plane is, is, is a hard pick. Because in the original film, he doesn't do that much except follow orders. And this is maybe skipping ahead a little bit, so I'll briefly touch on it and then we'll get back to casting. But the person in the plane needs to, I think, have a lot more doubt about what's happening. Like, his wife gets on the phone and, like, he barely questions whether he should turn around or not. And... I really love the idea that the 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 you know the 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 fight between your duty and what you know in your heart is right, right? If if Russia bombed us and I was the guy who had to drop who pressed the button to fire the bomb back, I don't know if I'd do it. I'm really glad you brought this up because this was kind of the conversation Lady and I were having yesterday, where I was like, you know what? No, we need to pump the brakes. We need to save this for the cast. Um, we were actually talking about this and they actually make reference in the movie before this all kicks off that Colonel Grady is talking to one of the other pilots about the this new rank of kids coming up through and how they're just machines. They just do what they're told. They like alluding to how they don't think for themselves and don't have those critical thinking skills. And then you get up in the plane and you miss that opportunity in the movie Yeah. to have Grady say, but no, we need to question this. We need to radio back. 
and then have your little robot younger kids that you alluded to earlier in the movie pay off have that be a bit of foreshadowing and have grady like reach up and hit the radio button uh, and be like no i believe you and then like one of the other robot kids pulls a weapon and tells him to get off the radio and he's forced to follow through on his orders. Add that little bit of extra drama that pays off what you invested in the first few scenes. Right. No, there's three people in that bomber and not one of them turns to the other one and goes, you know, maybe, maybe the millions of people who live in the greater Moscow area aren't responsible for the evils of communism. Maybe just maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, uh, Guys, we got two really big bombs on this plane, and we're about to do some really nasty crap with it. Maybe we get a second opinion. Yeah, yeah. Maybe when the president gets my wife on the line, <laughs> maybe it's not a maybe it's not a communist trick. You know what I mean? But but that's the point. He's supposed to be following the orders, right? So at what point do you say reasonably, okay, a mistake has been made? and they can't undo it the way it's supposed to be undone. By the book, I'm supposed to bomb Moscow and and maintain radio silence and not, not listen to any messages. There's a reason for that, right? The system is put in place, be, in place because it works, because otherwise the Russians could interfere and try and turn back bombers. So that that fight between, is this a trick? If, it doesn't matter if it's a trick like that drama i think needs to play out on the screen more in the remake and i kind of again i don't want to go too much into it but i want to keep that in mind as we kind of cast this role if that makes sense yeah i agree yeah that does make sense did anyone else have a different pick for grady wes bentley oh uh, i don't know yeah too pretty I for grady <laughs> i don't know yeah definitely too pretty he's i i like him as an actor though he was in interstellar he was in the four feathers which is a great underrated he was movie. in the hunger games yeah crazy beard dude but yeah he's also an american beauty yeah that was his big he was Such the creepy kid movie. with the camera yeah <laughs> so i i might pick Good him actor. all right so lastly we've got colonel cassio who is the colonel from the film who goes crazy and tries to take command of the NORAD center at a point in the film where we're sharing information with Russia to try and avoid it for him. The idea of trying to cooperate with Russia to avoid this tragedy is treason. And so he's a very interesting character. We do need someone who's very intense and I like your your pick here, Andrea. I'm assuming that's you, Adrian Brody. Yeah. Um, I, I figured some someone needed to be he needed to be intense, like everything else is in this movie, but also kind of sleazy. And um, I'm sure most people know Adrian Brody from like The Pianist. Um, he's in a lot of films that I kind of haven't seen, but like he was in um The Village where he played like a crazy he played like um like the kid in the village who was like disabled and you know very childlike and i didn't see him as childlike i kind of saw him as sort of a he was he i think he was on the spectrum in that film was was my impression yeah, he's I also think... in one of my favorite war films the thin red line I don't know if oh anyone's seen that. that's true that's fantastic um, 
but I just feel like he can, he can do. And I, I was to, to be sure of my choice. I, I went on um, YouTube and saw like a, a compilation that he was doing about his famous roles. And uh, the more I watched it, I was like, yep, I think my choice was pretty good because he did seem like the kind of person you could play someone who's kind of, kind of scummy, but also, you know, coming from a broken place. Agreed. He, he has a, he's had a career revival as well recently there was a couple years there where he he really wasn't in anything big and he it's a lot of his movies seemed terrible but he's definitely had a revival recently he's been in peaky blinders recently so he's been in he's been in a uh he was in a movie we just saw called see how they run so he's been he's been uh he's been in a bunch of stuff all right so that's it for casting obviously there's there's some other minor roles we could cast but we not we don't like to go too too deep down the rabbit hole unfortunately for the women i i thought their roles were so not important and that's sad but i didn't even think about any actresses yeah I should, same I should have, but I, I yeah just, i don't think there's a woman with more than one whole scene and honestly film, right? what was the the girl's name that was with the professor Elsa, I think her name was. I don't Elsa, remember. I thought that character was the stupidest thing in the world. I, I, I don't I, understand. Yeah. I get why they put a character like that in there, but there was no need to. And Andy, that whole scene could have been just taken out. Stupid as ever. I feel like that that scene was kind of important. Like it could have been taken out, but I feel like it was important to show how quickly that Gerda Shelley can turn on his words when put in that actual situation that that woman was talking about. Like she was talking about, you know, your hands on the button, like, you know, you have this chance to do this. And he was like, no, what are you talking? These are people's lives. And then not more than 12 hours later, he is literally put in that spot and he's so quick to end people just as she was. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a way to show how crazy he is. I think Amy's on onto it though. Like, I don't think if we're modernizing this film in any way, I like I staying would cut, true. I would, yeah, I, I would cut it as well. Yeah, you I would, put the same feeling of a reaction like that in a dinner party just 10 seconds yes, before, yes, or in a different place. Also, that slap in the car was real bad. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very, that, that's very, besides yeah. that he's a horrible, horrible man. Well, yes. that's that's kind of why I'm so torn, honestly, is because if we're going to keep it a period piece, then it's kind of accurate for how someone like that would behave. Yeah. But I think there are more ways to do it, more impactful ways to do it. Like if he were at the Pentagon with the Secretary of Defense there, you can have a bit of exposition about how he had an interesting conversation at a recent party about how uh, some folks are romanticizing the idea of the big bomb. And then later, he's the one advocating for dropping it and how Russia won't retaliate. I feel like it means more if he's actually the one saying it in that moment, though. Mm. I feel like it's stronger when he's like, he's physically hurting someone to to make them understand, like to snap them out of it, to say, you're talking about people's lives. And he'll go to that extent to to tell someone that they're wrong. And then immediately change his mind or when it or suits him, when it suits him. Okay. I, I think guess I, would, I could see it, but I don't know. I think I would get rid of that scene because I want to jump right in. I don't want any scenes outside of the places we talked about the president's bunker, the Pentagon, the, 
the cockpit of the, the bombers. I I don't think that scene is necessary. I don't think it adds anything. The the scene I would leave in is the Matador dream and then him talk General Blackie talking to his wife. But that's because I would give General Blackie kind of more screen time and more kind of a, more time to kind of show his character and his principles. All right, so that's casting. Let's jump on to changes to the film. I think the first thing I want to talk about, really a couple big things about the film is, should this film still be set in the Cold War or would anyone kind of update this and modernize it to either current day or or a future theoretical second Cold War between, you know, US and Russia or China, whatever the case may be. Personally, I'm for keeping it in the time frame that the the Cold War of the 50s and 60s. Anyone agree or disagree with it? I agree. I I agree. I was a bit wishy-washy earlier when we were talking about potentially remaking uh, different scenes under different conditions, but I think for it to have the same impact that it has, it needs to be as a period film set at that time like because you have to have the 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 social consciousness to draw on to make the rest of the film make sense and it's a cautionary tale right so like it's like oh they these are things that have not happened but could if we allow men to carry this carry on this kind of behavior unchecked and to continue to let machines run or let uh yeah machines run our um, security in our defense like this unchecked and um, there's that saying you know those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it and that not that this is um, you know a, a historical fiction um, it has some basis in history the cold war was a thing and so was mccarthyism and so was the red scare and so was nuclear proliferation so those are all things that are historical and you know like i said it's a it cannot be a cautionary tale if it does not take place in history i don't think i mean it it, this film cannot i i completely agree and i think even keeping it as a period piece it's still relevant to today there are still significant amounts of nuclear weapons all around the world i think nine countries have them which if you think about it going up from two to nine you know from you know close to the end of world war ii to now just makes it more dangerous right india and pakistan could could start throwing them at each other you know anytime as well as the united states and russia for example and not a lot of people know this but the u.s department of energy a vast majority of their budget goes to finding nuclear material and cleaning it up that's mostly Hmm. what they do and you know know so it's still relevant today for for people living in the world today even though it seems like everything else is a threat the idea that a you know a nuclear accident could happen obviously would happen different from the film it's still a relevant thing to discuss and talk about what when you say when you say nuclear accident do you mean like um do you mean a nuclear accident or do you mean like war caused by or like nuclear war caused by an accident either or because you Either say you, you say nuclear accident, and I think Chernobyl. I think, yeah, you know, and, and it it could be either or. Let me give you an example of current day. 
Russia has obviously uh, current currently as we speak, Russia has has invaded Ukraine, has been in, invading them and attacking them for several months now, almost almost we're going on towards a year. They have multiple times. Um, they went to Chernobyl. They they appeared to take some material from it. They have launched missiles close to an endangered nuclear facilities that is exceptionally dangerous to that area of the world the same way that chernobyl was so you've got accidents you've got military action in places where nuclear technology whether it be energy production or actual nuclear warheads exists and then you've got tension between the world powers china america russia we don't get along too well india and pakistan not the best of friends we all have nukes uh, Russia has lost a staggering amount of just nuclear waste, right? And it's not inconceivable that that someone who is the enemy to the civilized world or the West or America specifically could get that and, you know, and, and create a, a dirty bomb. Now, that wouldn't be, you know, total nuclear war, but... It is something that we don't worry about anymore because the paranoia of the Cold War is kind of gone away, but it still exists anyways. And we take the safeguarding of our nuclear weapons and of the world's nuclear weapons very much for granted in these times, I think, in our current time, right? It's not something yeah. that's on our mind the way it was during the Cold War and during the 50s and 60s when you had things like the the Cuban Missile Crisis and things like that, where, you know, we were planting nuclear weapons, you know, 90 miles from each other's borders and things like that. So I think it's still relevant and we can keep it a period piece and for, and it, it can stay relevant to to people nowadays, I guess was kind of my, my thought there. Um, <laughs> sorry to go on a, a, a modern day political rant or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing, all the kids should stay off my lawn. Uh, <laughs> we mentioned we mentioned earlier that the film doesn't have a score. I think everyone, most people were in agreement that you would keep it that way. Outside of me, is there anyone who wants a, a score? Because I have a specific idea for a score. I don't Andrea, know. I, Nick, I'd keep it without. I'd keep it without. I think the sound of the phones melting is enough score. That was a cool moment. Yeah. I... I love Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. They do scores and they're fantastic. He did the score for The Social Network, Gone Girl, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, uh, The Vietnam War, the documentary by Ken Burns. There's probably several others that I'm thinking of as well. But his scores are mesmerizing and they're the type of scores where they they build slowly over several minutes. This is not Danny Elfman or Howard Shore or John Williams. This is this is heart-pounding stuff when he does it right. And I feel like if you were to have a score, something like that that matched the that matched the constant yeah. building tension of the film would be perfect. So I I think I would have a score, but it would have to be very specific. And I don't mind the fact that the, the film doesn't have a score. See, I've seen this movie now three, maybe four times. And until we stopped to, to discuss this podcast, I did not realize it did not actually have a score. 
And I think that takes nothing away from the film film. In fact, I think it actually adds to it in that the content that is being delivered is so engaging that we just don't need it. And I, it's, it's probably one of those scenarios where, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Someone may come through and make an excellent, uh, um, accompanying score to this movie and it may change my mind completely but with the data i have available to me i have to say i wouldn't change i would not change it i i would i would let the film speak for itself and not try to amp it up in any way and it just did such a great job in its original uh production that it that i don't think it needs it i think of the hunger games when i think of a movie that doesn't have a lot of music um if i i feel like that the first hunger games especially um it had a little not a lot of music and um like during the movie and it was powerful like um when they step off their platforms in the in like the mid movie and all you hear is just the gong and that's the sound like that's the music and like maybe there's like a little bit of percussion and that's it or in the beginning of the film where all you hear is prim's scream and that's your introduction to district 12 y'all and like i feel like that in that way like you lose some of that sweaty cold that some of that cold sweat tension with music i think that's fair that's a fair take and i think like I said, if if someone were to score it, I think I think it would have to be someone very specific. But I agree that the film, the original film, with no score, I I didn't notice it at all, and that's a compliment. So, uh, okay, we've kind of the next thing on the list was going to be talking about casting and you know whether we should include people of color or women in kind of uh, roles of power. I think we discussed this pretty thoroughly. Yeah earlier on in the podcast so we're gonna skip that and and move on to um something else uh andrea what else did you have maybe kind of diving into specifics uh you know in scenes or 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 characters what what would you change about uh about the film i think one of the things that maybe i didn't elaborate on um would be uh, the the maps in the like the norad room and the pentagon i feel like those those maps uh that i mentioned in the beginning they they need to make a little bit more sense or be more detailed i think there's a way to build tension by showing a graph or a map um and like the the thought that i had was again apollo 13 there's a part in the movie where you're just staring at a gauge and it's it's their o2 gauge and you just watch it drop to zero and boy is that not the most tension filled scene of that film and you're just watching a gauge drop and it's 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 got that suspense to it and i feel like that there is a way that they could have done those maps in a way where it could have had the same effect so i would definitely change that um let me would... let, let me ask you this when it comes to the maps because part of the reason they have the maps so prevalent is they literally cannot afford to film to film or <laughs> have or buy film with the planes in them 
would you include like when when the bombers are going into Russia and they're launching their defense, uh, you know, their counter their countermeasures as defense against the Russian fighters? Would you have this in the film as action? Or would you still have it on the map where you kind of see these fuzzy dots? Because I don't know if that flies in 2022. I honestly think I'd still have it on the map. Maybe not as like fuzzy dots, but I think the the map is like, I feel like the map needs to be there just better. Uh, the map, it, it's like one of those things where it's like um, what you don't see. Um, it, it's kind of like that um, by not seeing it, lends more to your imagination it's like if you were to add that fight scene or if you were to add it it would kind of take away from that sense of fear that you have because you cannot see what's going on i actually think the map is kind of critical because you need to show the dissociation between the control center and the pilots behind the controls oh my god yeah you have you have to have that separation there for people to understand the gravity of what you are telling people to do and also um it actually that, happening yes but also to have that moment of oh my god i just asked these fighter squadrons to go out and die for a maybe to chase down these bombers and try to shoot them down um on the off chance that they can actually do that when everything that we're reading says that we can't. And all we know is these little triangles disappeared off a map. Right. And what does that mean? But back to your point of Apollo 13, to really portray that across to the audience, there is a better way to do it. There is a better way to illustrate the map um, or or portray that feeling <laughs> to, to, to engage you at that same level of watching the O2 gauge in Apollo 13. There's There's got to be a better way. And I think part of that could be how they opened the tour of the facility and they were looking at a satellite view that zoomed in on the ground. I mean, in practical effects, it's like they shot a camera out of a rocket and let it parachute back to the ground and claimed that was zooming in. But like, um, they open up with showing the senator, um, this is our newest, most fantastic spy satellite and we can zoom in and uh count the ticks on the back of a dog or some some crazy line like that and it's like if you can really do that then why does this look so janky right like <laughs> lean into that you know have the map illustrate the context a little bit better um because there's no way a jet even with afterburners is going to traverse half of canada in about three minutes yeah like that's the scale was completely blown out of proportion and it made it it honestly distracted from it um in my opinion yeah so Mercator if, projection yeah <laughs> they, they they spend like five seconds getting to russia and then like the rest of the movies we're in russia but slightly more into russia now right and i i think um and we're gonna go all the way back to the uh apollo 13 message here like there is a better way to illustrate that and I think they laid the groundwork for that. I just don't think they quite executed very well. That's fair. I think another thing to say is that I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's worth saying again, is that part of the movie's theme and appeal to me is that all of these exceptionally powerful people are sitting in a room 
and they can't do anything about what is about the the sequence mm-hmm. of, yeah. of things that have been put into motion. Yeah. So I think that's incredibly important. The idea that you're you're really seeing it from the people of the, whose fault it is ultimately because they're a part of this System. group, this cabal of people that 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 have been fine with kind of this proliferation of nuclear weapons, and now the the chickens are home to roost, and they they can do literally nothing to to, to stop the dominoes falling. You know what I mean? All right. So so kind of then the last thing I want to bring up about what I would change, and that is General Black. You call your wife, right? You call your wife and you say, <laughs> leave New York right now. I love the idea that we have sent someone up to bomb New York as I at, at first I was very it was it sounded strange to me that we would bomb a, a second city just to prove that you know we're even Stevens, but I like the idea of we want the Russians to trust us, so we'll do this thing. I dislike the idea that he has to be given the order to do it. I think he's put on a timer. If you basically that he his own failsafe, similar to our bomber, no one's going to call you until our bomber hasn't bombed Russia. And at the the time the bomber's going to get to Russia to Moscow, you'll be flying over New York. And if you don't hear from us, you bomb New York. Yeah. And I think if you like set that. it up that way, the tension builds where he's sitting there waiting for the call that never comes and then he has to make the same decision do i bomb new york city now oh i see where you're going with this okay you see you see what i mean so right as as it's set up right now it's exceptionally unbelievable yeah so i want it i want it to happen a little earlier where where general black knows what he's doing he's 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 the peaceful person you know and and his job is to maintain radio silence and only listen to a direct order from the president to turn back. And because they're friends, he the president trusts him to do it. I like that. I like I'd want it set up in a more realistic way instead of like getting the order and then having that countdown to where, you know, the the bomb goes off in Moscow, you hear the the noise of the phone melting and then you cut to General Black and he's just sweating bullets because the call to stop hasn't come and he's over New York and all of a sudden he has to do his job now and he he's in the exact situation that the fighter pilot or that the bomber pilots in the other the other the other bombers are and I love I love that idea but you call your wife right you call your wife before you take off and you say please leave New York City right now there's a military situation I can't tell you about it leave yes anyone would the last thing the very very last thing i want to i want to talk about because i know we're, we're going on here is obviously you didn't have the technology back then but now we do i want to see new new york city destroyed by a nuclear bomb because if you've ever seen a documentary about hiroshima nagasaki it's one of the most I have this weird thing with like the horrors of history. I love reading books like that. Um, the rape of Nanking. Uh, what's it? Doll, the, the house of dolls. Like these are some disgusting, terrible things that have happened throughout history. Uh, specifically during world war two, a lot of them, but they're 
reading those type of things and seeing the the the, the consequences of of and the brutality of war is fascinating i think important as well and if you watch documentaries about the dropping of the atomic bomb on japan it is you can only be horrified if you don't watch a film about that and sh- see what happened to these people and then be like yeah i'm fine with dropping more bombs you you are not a human being and so i want a really like five minute long sequence of the nuclear bomb going off in new york and i want it to be absolutely brutal like people's shadows burned into buildings the people who are far enough away from the bomb not to die getting the radiation burns like really sending the consequences home really sending like this is what happens when you drop a nuclear weapon the people who die immediately in a nuclear weapon are the lucky ones they are the lucky ones if you live through nuclear blast it's bad news for you i i feel like that's a fantastic idea and i like it but i don't think that's the point of the movie i agree i agree but i think it's it's not the so i i I think the reason they didn't do it though is because they can't they couldn't do it oh i disagree i absolutely disagree because when you start the movie and general black is having his um nightmare his Nightmare. nightmare when he wakes up there's a mushroom cloud overlaid on his face oh really like 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 the way that the shadow Mm -hmm. is falls on his face it looks like a mushroom cloud yes i i think they could absolutely take uh some of the aerial shots that they had of new york city and overlay a mushroom cloud it would have been you know I don't think it would have been as brutal as you were looking no, for. No, 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 no. It wouldn't be like, uh, what, what was it? Uh, day after tomorrow or anything like that. You know, or, or the CG day fest. after. That's that was a made-for-television movie that aired in the eighties, um, that depicted a nuclear strike from Russia in middle America, yeah. and it was all those things that Pat is saying. Maybe not the shadows on burned under the walls, but, um, you know, it was the the lucky ones who died in the blast kind of thing. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I think they could have done it with the technology that was available to them at the time of making this film. Um, But I think it was more of an artistic choice. I think this film is a really, really good example of less is more. Yeah. Yeah. If you do it, if you do it wrong, it comes off silly. Like the sum of all fears, the the nuclear bomb that goes off in the stadium is, is not impactful because you, barely you know a bunch of people die but you you barely see anyone die but it doesn't show the horrors of a nuclear weapon going off and like i said you i think you go you either leave it out or you go all the way to to 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. and and just show everything and show the brutality of what what would your happen decisions are so, yeah if you like I think that this would be a, if you were to do this, I think it would be a good place for maybe a montage. And I can't believe I'm about to say that. Nuclear um, montage. <laughs> I mean, like maybe like a voiceover kind of thing. Like um, you know, the president's big speech at the end. Like, what do we do? All that. If the brutality that you're talking about was just images, no sound, just images, and then the president's speech overlaid on top of that. I think that may have worked. May may yeah. work. I'd buy that. Um, or a newscaster getting a live feed of what has happened, and they're just dumbfoundedness. 
oh my god it's happened oh well, my god it's really it's really happening well the that reason why i thing. say the president is because he's just talked about it's our responsibility oh. we let these machines go oh, out of our control okay. it ties that horror to the it's our fault and it makes a direct connection Thanks for listening to this episode of the Original Remake Podcast. If you'd like to provide feedback or have a question, please email us at remake.cast at gmail.com. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.